morning. We are so blessed in many ways as a church, aren't we? All the children that we have in our church and uh, the ministries that we get to partner with, like Choices. Thank you, Michelle and DJ, for being here this morning. And um, as we look at the Word this morning, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. And the title of my sermon is Everyday Gospel Encouragement. That's what we need every day. Uh, let me just say a few words before we read the, the scripture. You know, over the past couple of years, there have been a lot of circumstances that have tempted us to be discouraged, to grumble and to complain. Maybe like our spiritual forefathers in the wilderness, you remember? They complained and grumbled against Moses and against God. It sort of feels like we've been in our, in our own wilderness journey for the last year or two in some sense. And as we look to 2022, I think we need to pay attention to what the writer of Hebrews says as he reflected on those temptations in the wilderness. He says we should confidently boast in our hope in Christ and not be discouraged. In chapter 3, verse 13, he says this, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So he says, don't put it off till tomorrow. You know, today, encourage one another. We need to be gospel encouragers and not just uh, from on Sundays, you know, when we attend church, but all throughout the week and not just by the pastors and elders, but as each one of us depend on the Holy Spirit that God has given to us, that we can encourage one another. We need one another. We need the gospel. And we need to gospel one another with the promises of God. So we need everyday gospel encouragement. And Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, you know, we could go to a lot of places in Scripture to look for gospel encouragement. But Ephesians uh, is full of the gospel from start to finish. And one writer he says it, it may pack more gospel per square inch than any other book in the Bible. It's filled with gospel explanation and gospel application. So let's look at just a few verses from chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 10 in Ephesians 2. And we'll ask our Heavenly Father to encourage us with the blessings that we have in Christ. How about we read this together? We'll uh, read those 10 verses together. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These are the words of the Lord to encourage us today. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word again that you have brought us together in this place uh, to look at your word and uh, to depend upon you, to call upon you, to encourage us. Uh, the writer of the Psalms in Psalm 119 encourages us to rejoice at your word like someone who finds great treasure. We're to love your words and to praise you for them. And he says, we will have great peace so that nothing can make us stumble. We're to love you and your precepts for all our ways are before you. So we ask you this morning by your spirit, O oh Father, to teach us to live according to your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So one of my family's favorite movies is the 2002 version of The Count of Monte Cristo, starring Jim Caviezel. And you know, I understand there have been 40 on-screen adaptations of that novel by Alexandre Dumas. And if you're familiar with the story, maybe you've seen one of the movies, you'll remember the scene where Edmond Dantes, he, after escaping from prison, he discovers this great treasure on the Isle of Monte Cristo. And in the movie, his pirate friend who was with him, he says something like, you are the richest man I have ever known. All of your problems have just disappeared. But unfortunately, Edmond Dantes, he didn't believe that all of his problems could disappear until he had taken vengeance on his enemies, those who had um, charged him unjustly and betrayed him and sent him to prison for crimes he didn't commit. And revenge makes for a good story, right? You know, why is it that we, uh, we they, they appeal so much to us, these stories of revenge? How different is the gospel story where the one unjustly treated is the one who gives life and freedom to those who don't deserve it? That's really what has happened to us, that we have uh, unjustly treated uh, the Savior, but yet he comes and gives us life and freedom, even though we don't deserve it. If, if we could discover the treasure that's ours in Christ, you know, if we could understand how wide and long and high and deep is the love of our Father for us and all the riches and the blessings that we enjoy in our union with Christ, uh, maybe all our problems wouldn't just disappear, right? But... Uh, we, they would be put in perspective. They wouldn't seem as large and as significant as they do to us. Do you understand how rich you are in Christ, in your union with Christ? You have treasure that you can't measure because Jesus is your life. You can't measure the treasure that you have in Christ. It'll take us all of eternity, all of this life and all of eternity. And then we still won't really 
fully comprehend uh, what he has done for us. And we need gospel encouragement every day, and we should continually encourage one another with the great treasure of God's love for us. Three ways that you can see this great treasure of his love for you in Ephesians chapter 2. We should encourage one another that God loved you when you were incapable of loving him back. Paul says that mankind was spiritually dead, dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were sons of disobedience. Now, that's where we all once lived. You know, how bad off is mankind without God's gift of new life in Christ? How bad is the bad news? How bad off were you? The Gospel Transformation Bible puts it this way. It says, mankind was dead, disobedient, demonic, and destined for destruction. We were prodigals, scoundrels, vile, impure, unholy, treacherous, lecherous, self-absorbed, self-exalting, out-and-out rebels. Basically, we were unlovable and we were incapable of loving God. We were not strugglers in need of a helping hand or sinking swimmers in need of a raft. We were stone-cold dead, spiritually lifeless, without a religious pulse, without anything to please God. But the good news of the gospel is that our Heavenly Father, He loves the loveless. He loves the helpless. He gives life to the lifeless, and He's merciful to those deserving no mercy. That's the good news of the gospel. That's gospel encouragement. In his book, Born Again, Chuck Colson, he writes about how spiritually dead he was, how self-absorbed and self-exalting he was. He, he was a scoundrel. And you, you probably heard me talk about Chuck Colson before. I really like that guy. You know, if there was, uh, we're not supposed to put anybody on a pedestal, but if I was tempted to, I, I would probably want to put Chuck Colson up there. Uh, he went to be with Jesus 10 years ago at 80 years of age, but before God gave Chuck Colson a new heart, he, he was pretty corrupt. He was a pretty corrupt person for the first half of his life. He was one of the most powerful men, you remember, in the Richard Nixon White House. Uh, in his administration, he was involved in the Watergate scandal, which led to the president being forced to resign. And newspapers in 1972 described Colson as one of the most powerful presidential aides and as the master of dirty tricks. I think he even said one time that he, he would run over his own grandmother in pursuit of the president's aims. Very loyal to the president, but willing to do whatever it took uh, to, des to destroy the, the enemies, the political enemies of the president. He pleaded guilty to obstruction of justice and he was sentenced to seven months in prison. He was humbled and sent to prison and knowing that he was facing arrest while waiting for his trial, a friend invited him to his home and introduced him to Jesus and to C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And Colson said, he said, I had an overwhelming sense that I was unclean. After leaving his friend's home, he got into his car, but he couldn't drive away. For over an hour, he said, he just wept in his car, calling out to God. He said, 
I didn't even know the right words to say. I simply knew that I wanted him and I knew for certain that God who created the universe heard my cry. So what a miracle. That's gospel transformation that Chuck Colson experienced and that you have experienced if you put your faith and trust in him. If you've never experienced God's transforming grace, he wants to do that same miracle in you, in your heart that he did for Chuck Colson. He wants to give you a deep desire to know him, to understand that you are unclean apart from him, to break your pride and your efforts at trying to be powerful and independent and successful and, and think that you're somehow in control of your own life. And if you have been transformed by God's grace and you've been made alive in Christ, then he wants you to continually grow in that knowledge, in that understanding of how rich you are because of what he has done for you. Not because of anything that you have done, but because of his mercy and grace. He wants us to encourage one another daily in the gospel riches that we have in Christ. What are some of those blessings that we have in Christ? Well, in Romans, Paul speaks of our redemption. He speaks of our new life, our eternal life. He speaks of, of us having the love of God, enjoying no condemnation, having one body, in Galatians, he talks about our freedom in Christ, our being justified in Christ, having the blessings of sonship. In Philippians, he mentions the glorious riches that we have in Christ, our heavenly reward. In Corinthians, he reminds us that we're a new creation, we're sanctified, we're declared righteous, we've been reconciled, we experience holiness. In Ephesians, Paul emphasizes that we have the riches of his grace. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have the resurrection. We have the forgiveness of sins. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ. And these are just a few of the encouraging things, the encouraging reminders of the rich blessings that you enjoy because you are in Christ, because you have been transformed by the gospel. And God wants you to continually communicate that, to continually uh, encourage, be encouraged, and to uh, communicate gospel encouragement in your interaction with, with each other, in your family, uh, with your children, with your spouse, with your coworkers, uh, with your small group, with ministry partners, everywhere and every day, apply the gospel to every situation that you can think of. He wants you to gospel one another when you face conflict in your marriage, conflict in your church, uh, wherever conflict uh, pops up. In 2022, uh, God wants you to encourage your own heart and your own mind with the gospel. He wants you to preach to yourself on a regular basis the good news of the gospel when you're facing challenges like uh, stress or debt or unemployment or underemployment or if you're facing grief or if you're facing fatigue or any other difficulties in your battles with sin and temptation, uh, in battles with doubt, with weakness, in your times of corporate worship when we come together, in your private worship, in all these areas, he wants you to be encouraged with his gospel promises of how rich you are, the treasures that you have discovered or that have been brought to you, that your eyes have been opened to because you were dead, now you're alive. And, and he is putting on display in the New Testament all of these wonderful, rich blessings that you have. 
He wants us to encourage one another with these gospel promises in times of distress when it comes to a pandemic that doesn't seem to want to go away and we are tempted to grumble and complain when we're faced with social problems, the evils of racism and poverty and abortion and any, any form of injustice. Uh, God wants us to encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, the writer of Hebrews says, that none of us may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So God loved you when you were spiritually dead and unlovable and that's, that's really the past riches of his grace. That's what you have experienced in your, your story, in your past, uh, if you put your faith and trust in him. And th there's ongoing riches of his grace right in the present every day. You should encourage, secondly, you should encourage one another that God loves you every moment of every day more than you can imagine. You can't understand how much God loves you. Uh, R.C. Sproul once said his favorite word in all the Bible is the word that begins verse 4 in Ephesians chapter 2 with the word but. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. But God, on the one side of the but God, he says, is the wrath of God for sin. You know, we were by nature children of wrath, living in the passions of our flesh. But on the other side of that word, uh, on, on the other side is this rich mercy and the great love with which God loves us. And we never stop needing his mercy. You didn't just need it back then in the past. You need it every day in the present. Uh, you need his love and grace every moment, every day. Not just that one point in your life when you repented and trusted in Christ. You need it every day more and more as the writer of Hebrews says, to keep you from being hardened by the deceitfulness of your own sin, by your own heart that tries to lie to you, tries to deceive you into uh, not thinking that God really loves you. You, you really got to do something to please him. You have to do something to, to merit his acceptance. Uh, you deserved only his wrath and condemnation, but instead he poured out blessing and honor and it's not because of anything you've done. It's only by his grace that you've been saved. Verse 5, we sang about it this morning and then we read about it in Ephesians 2. Verse 5 and again in verses 8 and 9, not your own doing, Paul says. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. So the grace of God that has come to you that came to Chuck Colson uh, means that you got exactly the opposite of what you deserved. And Paul says, we've been saved by grace through faith. So you came into this relationship with Christ by repentance and faith. But it's also how you grow in Christ. It's how you continually grow through uh, times of repentance and times of believing again and setting your mind on new obedience. Uh, and it's primarily about receiving from God without achieving something on your own. This is where we get confused. We often think that we need to do something, we need to achieve something on our own. We often think we need to work to, even to increase our faith. Uh, we say things sometimes like, uh, my faith is really weak right now, as though we could do anything on our own to strengthen our faith. Uh, it helps to remember Jesus' response to the crowd. You remember in, in John 6, they came to him and they said, 
you know, what do we need to do in order to do the works that God requires? And Jesus said, this is the work that God wants you to do. Believe in the one he has sent. Jesus said, believe. Believe in the one. Believe the gospel. And after you believe and after you rest in Christ's work of what he has done on your behalf, then believing effort can follow. You can, you can make effort in the Christian life, believing effort, not unbelieving effort as you trust him, as you rest in what he has done for you. The more you believe and rest and rejoice in what he's done, the more you will want to respond in service to him. The more you will want to be obedient to him. The more you'll want to know what it is he wants you to do. I recall one time at a presbytery meeting, we were at a presbytery meeting yesterday a few years back, uh, our church planting coordinator, Paul Hahn, he asked the pastors and elders there to jot down some answers to a few questions on a three by five card. So he could take those back to his team in Atlanta and pray specifically for the Tennessee Valley Presbytery uh, pastors and elders. And one of the questions uh, he asked us was, what's the greatest threat to your ministry? So I had to think about that for a minute. I hadn't been asked that question before. And I thought about it and realized that I'm my own, you know, I'm the greatest threat. My unbelief is the greatest threat to my ministry. It's the greatest threat to my joy in relationships. And it's your greatest threat. That's the greatest danger is that you don't believe what God has said about you of his acceptance and his love and his grace in the gospel. Your unbelief of God's goodness to you in the gospel, not believing that it really is good news. This gospel means good news. God wants you to be more connected to Christ every day this year in 2022. Uh, Jesus is the object of our faith and we receive our faith our faith from him. You don't just have faith in some subjective way and call yourself a person of faith. You, no, you, you have faith in a person, right? In a, uh, you, you have a focus on an objective, historical human person and he is the object of our faith. And he doesn't want us just to think in some subjective sense that we are people of faith. He wants us to call his name, to understand who it is that has given us the, the faith and who it is that continues to, to bless us with faith to believe and to trust in him. He wants us to honor him, not to honor faith. You know, uh, he is the one who empowers your faith in connection to him. And you don't increase your faith through trying to work harder and harder or by looking deep within for some kind of strength and determination. You focus outside of yourself on that person of Jesus and your faith continues to be strengthened as you look to Jesus, who the writer of Hebrews says is the author of our faith. And he says he's the perfecter of our faith. So he gives it to us and he perfects it. He continually um, makes it stronger. He is the one who helps us to believe and he commands us to believe. And he says, believe uh, in the one that God has sent. So uh, don't compartmentalize your life, you know, into family and friends. We're so tempted to do this, career, church, politics. But 
Bring Christ's love and blessings of the gospel into every aspect of your life. Apply it everywhere. When faced with anything that discourages you or gets you down, you can ask yourself this question. How can I apply what Christ has done for me in the gospel to this little problem? And in perspective, it's usually a little problem, right? That our flesh tries to turn into a big problem. And so we toss and turn and we lose sleep over it and we get in conflict over it. Um, parents, you know, with your children. Uh, we can find ways when we're parenting our children to bring the good news of the gospel into our parenting. You know, how can you demonstrate the good news of forgiveness to your kids? And maybe you can share with them specific ways that you need forgiveness from God. And, and maybe you need forgiveness from them because oftentimes we, you know, if we're sinners, our disposition is to sin. It makes sense that we're going to sin against our, our children. And if they can understand as they grow up that my parents aren't uh, Jesus, they aren't perfect, they need Jesus as much as I need Jesus. And uh, it's a great way to demonstrate the gospel in parenting. Um, just a practical way of connecting uh, the work of Christ on the cross to what you're doing with your kids. Uh, in your striving for justice, for the oppressed and the marginalized, you know, how can you make sure that you don't leave the gospel out of it? You know, the fact that God loves us and provided mercy and justice for, for sin is why we care about mercy and justice for others. It's why we seek to provide justice uh, and, and his love to the poor, why we serve the poor. It's because of the good news of the gospel that we want to help improve educational opportunities, that we want to provide the dignity of work, that we want to mentor elementary students, why we want to have the Glenwood School, why we want to help inner city youth, young men and women, and that we want to, we want to speak about issues of racism and other forms of prejudice. It's because of the gospel. It's because of the encouragement that we have in the gospel. So let's not leave the gospel out of any of these issues or any of the, the practical everyday problems that we face in relationships, in our homes. The person who doesn't get the love of God, who hasn't yet developed a heart of thankfulness for all that Christ has done for him or her, they won't be able to demonstrate that to, other, to anyone else, to others. You know, if you don't recognize your own deep-seated sinfulness and your need for His grace every moment, then naturally you will find it hard to give grace to others. You'll be quick to cancel and to judge and you'll be slow to embrace and to show mercy. You know, for example, when, when word got out that Chuck Colson uh, was converted uh, in 1974, that he, he had a testimony of a changed life. Prominent newspapers and other media like Time and Newsweek, they, they ridiculed him. They claimed that his newfound faith was merely a strategy to try to reduce his prison sentence because he was waiting for trial. And they needed uh, an experience with grace to be able to give him some grace. Right? We need God's supernatural grace, especially in the world that we're living in today, right, that is become, becoming increasingly graceless, 
It's hard to find grace out there. But we are people of grace. We are gospel people and we can be encouraged ourselves and we can encourage others with the gospel. So we don't leave the gospel out of it. Let's encourage one another in the grace of the gospel in 2022 so we don't follow the world and end up being hardened, our hearts being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Last point, um, we can encourage one another that the more you embrace God's love for you this week, the more you'll want to love him and serve him next week and so on. John Piper's definition of future grace He says, future grace is God's power, provision, mercy, and wisdom. Everything we need in order to do what he wants us to do. Five minutes, five weeks, five months, five years, and 5,000 years from now. So it's kind of like we build up. The more we we, uh, engage in gospel encouragement, it it kind of uh, protects us from the deceitfulness of sin. And so the more we engage in it, the more we do it, uh, the, the better it, the easier it is. As you know, the more we get it, the more we give grace and understand the gospel and, and rejoice in the goodness of Christ for us, uh, the more he empowers us to be people of grace. Uh, Paul is saying in Verse 6 of chapter 2, God raised you up with Christ and seated you with God in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God made you alive in an intimate union with Christ and he raised you from the dead in union with Christ and he seated you in heavenly places with Christ next to the Father. So how can this be since we're all still here? We're all here on this earth. Well, God has so secured your future eternal destiny, that he wants you to see yourself as already with Christ in heaven, reigning together with him, seated next to the Father. That helps put our earthly problems in perspective, doesn't it? Seated with Christ, next to the Father, reigning with Christ because of the gospel, because of what God has done all by himself, not because of anything that we have done to merit it, but because of his great love for us. And Paul says for all eternity, he goes on, he says, God will be boasting in the coming ages. He will show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us, verse 7. He will be showing off his riches, showing off the unbelievable and immeasurable riches of his grace And God can take credit, right? God can take credit all by himself. God can big up himself because he's a big God and because uh, we don't have any reason to be proud. Uh, God can put his, the riches of his grace on display all he wants to. And Paul was not willing to take any credit for himself, for his working hard, he saw his good works as just more evidence of God's kindness to him. Verse 10, he says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to to do good works which God prepared or he ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. If you ever question that, um, go to Psalm 139. There's some verses in Psalm 39, I think 13 to 16, that just really are an encouragement to me about God's sovereign hand in your life that before a word is on your tongue, right, he knows it. And every, 
Every part of your life is uh, God knows and God has been directing and God, that's how much he loves you, that he looks back to things that you can't even remember, that I can't remember, but he was there, he was orchestrating things to bring you to a place of where you understand uh, his love for you and you would uh, relent and you would turn from being a son of disobedience to a child of the king, a child of God. You are a work of God. You're chosen by him before the creation of the world. Paul says that in Ephesians 1 verse 4. Before the foundation of the world, God knew you. He, he, he chose you. He was thinking about you. He created you for holy living and for fruitful living, for works of grace and justice and mercy for others, for sharing the good news of his love in word and action. And the more you embrace uh, his grace for living the Christian life, the more it will lead to renewal in your life, week in and week out, and the more you'll want to pursue holy living and the more you'll want to bring the riches of his grace to others who are in need, others who are poor and need the riches that he offers. Chuck Colson, he came to understand the past, the present, and the future grace of God. He understood that he was saved by grace alone, and he was ordained for good works, as Paul says in verse 10. After his conversion at age 41 and his brief time in prison, he went on to faithfully serve Jesus for another four decades almost. And much of this time was spent in prisons. Uh, in 2008, uh, Colson said that the worst day of his life after Jesus was better than the best day before Jesus. He said, from that next morning after my conversion to this day, I've never looked back. I can honestly say that the worst day of the last 35 years has been better than the best day of the 41 years that preceded it. And he said, that's a pretty bold statement. Given my time in prison, three major surgeries and two kids with cancer at the same time, but it's absolutely true. My worst day after Christ transformed me and has brought me into relationship with him has been better than the best day before that transformation, before he rescued me from sin. Uh, you see why I like Chuck Colson. He is such a, a living example of the gospel, the power of the gospel to transform somebody uh, from following as a son of disobedience, a rebel, and turning them into uh, somebody who lives daily for the gospel and lives it out in their life. We hear the good news and we often, we, we know it in our heads, but it's hard for it not to leak out of our hearts and minds from Sunday to Sunday. Uh, we need it every day. Uh, our formal theology doesn't always line up with our functional theology, the way we live, what we know and, and what we practice. So it's good to get the gospel uh, get a good gospel encouraging resource that you can read every day in your personal worship. It's good to get together with a friend to encourage one another as you read and interact on his goodness to you. If you don't like to read, listen to an audio book or a podcast that points you to aspects of the good news that God has done for you in Christ. Uh, maybe you can find something that will help you apply the gospel to your marriage or conflict or work. You know, there's tons of great resources out there. Ted, uh, Paul Tripp has some great resources. Tim Keller, of course. Elise Fitzpatrick is 
one of my favorite uh, uh, women theologians. She has this book, Give Them Grace, Dazzling Your Kids with the Love of Jesus, which is really a theology of parenting, the grace of the gospel for your kids. Uh, you can find some of these great gospel resources at my favorite publisher, New Growth Press. You can go there to their website and you'll find stuff for private worship, for small group, for your marriage, for parenting, for Sunday school teachers, elders, deacons, deaconesses, for children, youth, all kinds of great stuff that, that are published by New Growth Press. You know, why should we give gospel encouragement to one another in 2022? What will be the result? At the end of the year, as we look back, Paul says it's increased joy. You'll become more and more joyful as you're more and more rooted and established in love as the Holy Spirit gives you the power to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ for you that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, Ephesians 3.18. And because you're united to Christ and you have his spirit empowering you, it can't help but transform you in an ongoing way from week to week. And through you, through that transformation in you, it will transform others. Chuck Colson's story is his greatest legacy. Uh, you know, throughout the second half of his life, he provided tons of gospel encouragement to prisoners and their families, to members of Congress. He challenged presidents and prime ministers. He wrote gospel-centered books. He understood that the gospel is about heart change and neighborhood change and family change and social change and criminal justice change, prison reform and world change. In one interview, he said, I saw the world through the eyes of people who were disadvantaged and marginalized and rejected, the outcasts of society, the untouchables in American life. And I decided if God put me there to live among them for seven months as I did, then I would speak for them when I got out. That's evidence of gospel transformation. Uh, many people were skeptical at first when Colson said God had changed him, but he walked the, he walked the talk in such a way that it was obvious that the gospel indeed has power to transform a life, um, not just at the moment of conversion, but every day ongoing for those 35 years or so after conversion. It demonstrated in his life that he was continually being transformed by the gospel. So let's be encouraged. Let's commit ourselves this year to everyday gospel encouragement of ourselves and of others as the writer of Hebrews says, we should encourage one another every single day as long as it's today. Don't put it off so that none of us may be hindered by the deceitfulness of sin. Let's pray and thank him. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Oh Lord, thank you for your unending love for us. Pray that you'll fill us up with faith and with gratitude and joy for all that you have done, for all that you're doing in us every day for your people, your church. Continue to encourage us with the good news through the preaching of the word uh, and the gospel as we encourage one another, as we seek to bring gospel hope to others, uh, hope uh, to others who are in desperate need of the riches that we enjoy in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Please stand.